Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. This month we've been speaking on enough and all the messages are up on the podcast. Go to the website. You can get a hold of those. But we've been speaking on enough because often what we see as insufficient, God calls more than enough. I'm going to read to you about something that many people think is not enough. And uh, it's a little unusual when you read it in this context. It's Matthew 13, verse 31. Jesus is speaking. It says, Another parable He put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, how many people here have ever heard of promotion and marketing? Everybody has, haven't you? And so when you've heard about promotion and marketing, what do you do when you want to let people know about your product? Do you tell them how insignificant it is? Do you tell them how small it is? Do you tell them how, you know, they can overlook it? This is not a trick question. Some of you look like, yeah, but what's he going to say? I'm going to say the wrong thing. No, you don't do that. You tell everyone how amazing it is. Go read your paper. Go look at the junk mail that comes through your letterbox, unless you've got a no junk mail sign on it. And read the stuff that comes through. Everything's amazing. Everything's the latest. Everything. I, I picked up a product this week in the supermarket that said this new original. And I thought, How can it be a new and original? But I think somebody wanted to get two buzzwords and put them together. They said it's original, but it's new. I thought, well, that's interesting. So when Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of of heaven, if he had been in PR, he would have started telling you how this thing, look out, here we come, it's incredible. So listen to what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, it's the least of all the seeds. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like the tiniest, most insignificant of all of the seeds. I've actually got one down in my diary down there in one of the zippered pockets. I've kept it there for a number of years. It's such a tiny seed that sometimes I've opened up the zipper pocket and haven't even been able to locate it because it worked its way down into a corner somewhere or other. It's an incredibly small seed. Jesus said, that's the kingdom of heaven. It's a tiny seed, but when it grows, it's greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable, He spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leaven. Again, I've baked and put uh, yeast into some breads and things like that. And, you know, it's never much. You put in a whole lot of flour, maybe a teaspoon or a tablespoon full of yeast. And somehow or other that teaspoon of yeast, even though it's small, ends up having incredible impact. Let's go on later in the chapter, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, not seen, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has 
and buys that field, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking pearls, beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, just one, went and sold all that he had and bought it. How strange that God declares His work, His people, His church starts out small, but the small becomes great. The unnoticed becomes unmistakable. That which is so easily overlooked ends up becoming the focus of attention. And so I today want to speak to you about the church, the body of Christ that I believe in this month of enough I believe the body of Christ is more than enough. Not just this church or some church you watched on television or know about or maybe you kind of know the preacher or whatever or they're one of your favourites. I'm not speaking about that church. I'm talking about the church, His body on the earth. And I've got to read to you one of my favourite passages out of the message version It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to what it says about this thing called the church. How blessed is God and what a blessing He is. He's the Father of our Master, Jesus Christ. And He takes us to the high places of blessing in Him. It's not where you are right now today that matters. He's taking you on a journey. Maybe right now you're in the valley of the shadow of death. You've come from a good place and now find yourself in a dark place. Can I tell you, if that's you today, understand that a dark place is never the permanent home of a believer. Understand that your difficulty is a and it came to pass event, not it came to stay. Because on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death, there is a table spread in front of all of your enemies and your cup overflowing, your head anointed with oil, etc. All the things that it promises in there. Verse 4, long before He laid down earth's foundations, He had us in mind. He'd set on us as the focus of His love to be made whole and holy. Isn't that a great promise? I don't know about you, but there are some days when maybe you don't feel completely whole. You can feel ragged around the edges, maybe anxiety or fear or pressure or or conflict has started to nibble away at the health of your soul. And God says He's already decided that you are going to be whole. He's already decided that He's making something wholesome and beautiful out of your life, regardless of how it looks right now. I made whole and holy by His love. Long, long ago, He decided to adopt us into His family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure He took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of His lavish gift giving by the hand of His beloved Son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, His blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything 
provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans He took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in Him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. Listen to this verse 11. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, He is working out in everything and everyone. That passage goes on and talks about how that the church is not peripheral to the world, but rather the world is peripheral to the church. So many people are gazing into the uh, what's happening in the world around about them, trying to make sense of it. And this passage says this, if you want to understand where the world is going, understand that the church, according to Scripture, the church is at the centre of God's universe that it's the church that is the heart of God. It is the church that holds the, the power of God. It is the church that holds the grace of God. It is the church that should best exemplify what God is like and the way that God thinks, that what you and I are a part of is something so magnificent that all of heaven says it's the culmination of all of the ages. I know that we live in a great day. We've just talked about Peru, 100,000 people in Lima gathered, you know, 7,000 people in one city already committed their lives to Christ. What an astounding thing that we get to be a part of on this planet. But today I don't wanna talk to you about one location or about one event or about one church brand, or one church kind of thing. But all around the world, believers are a part of the church. What an incredible thing that we are a part of. Let's have a look into this this morning. Number one, the church is supernatural. The church is in the world, but not of the world. Despite all of the atheistic dictators, and there's been many, despite all of the despots, despite all of the godless regimes, despite all of the philosophers and, and leaders of, of all kinds of areas over the years that have continued to declare and attempt to prophesy the demise of the church, it is still the fastest growing thing on planet Earth. I want you to have a look at the screen at a documentary that was aired on our national broadcast of the ABC. This was not made by Christians. It wasn't made by a church trying to portray something. Your national broadcaster went to this country and this is what they had to say about Mongolia. Just have a look at the screen. In Mongolia's ancient capital, Karakorum, an old faith has been reborn. This was the country's largest Buddhist monastery until the communists closed it down. 1637. This, 
Just pause for a minute there, thank you. Because this goes a long time and I think you've started it way too far back. Thank you. We'll go to 1637. Otherwise, we'll be here and all you'll do is watch an ABC yeah, documentary. But, I mean, her attitude is, is praise God, we still got half. That's it, right there. That's it, right there. A decade ago, there were thought to be just 20 Christians in the entire country. But Christianity is spreading so fast it no longer needs foreign missionaries or even churches. The Buddhist faith that survived Stalin is falling victim to freedom and a new culture is taking hold of a desperate people in an ancient land. What a remarkable story portrayed there, and by the way, there were several countries I could have picked from. I just happened to have remembered that documentary that got aired. Right around the world, the Church of Jesus Christ is advancing like never before. We've helped plant 10 churches in Agra, which, by the way, is in one of the most difficult states of India uh, for the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, and yet those 10 churches are flourishing in that place. Why? because the church is and always has been supernatural. It doesn't advance simply by, think of the statement that the uh, reporter said there, that it's taken root in such a way from where two decades ago, there were 20 believers in the entire country to now where they say, we have no need of foreign missionaries. We don't need foreigners to come and plant churches in our nation, an amazing thing. I saw another doco also from the ABC, a different one, where they said this, a tidal wave of revival is sweeping Mongolia against which all the established powers are powerless to act because the church is supernatural. Here's the second thing about the church. The church is audacious. Think about John 3.16, lots of you will know it. It's the very beginnings of the Gospel of John. And it starts off saying this, For God so loved the world. So loved the world. Massive statement. Then Jesus comes into the earth and along with 12 ragtag disciples, because that's really all you could say. After three and a half years, he tells them this. He says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. These people that have never moved more than 40 miles, more than 60 or so kilometres from their home. These people, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
I want to read to you the story. Uh, and I've heard this one, so I went hunting for it. Uh, it's about Caesarea way back in the early days of the church. Famine and war had recently afflicted the city of Caesarea. So when the plague hit in the early 4th century, the populace was already weakened and unable to withstand this additional blow. The populace began fleeing the city, one of the larger ones of the Roman Empire, for safety in the countryside. However, in the midst of the fleeing inhabitants, at least one group was staying behind, the Christians. As bishop of the city and an historian of the early church, Eusebius recorded in his book, The Church History, that during the plague, and I quote, all day long, the Christians tended to the dying and to their burial. Countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city. A multitude of those withered from famine and they distributed bread to them all. Eusebius goes on to state that because of their compassion in the midst of the plague, the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. Such actions convinced them that they alone, the Christians alone, were pious and truly reverent to God. A few decades after Eusebius, the last pagan emperor, Julian the Apostate, or Apostate, however you prefer to pronounce it. With a name like that, he's not a good guy. He's the guy who's chucked away all morals, all values. Julian the Apostate recognised that the Christian practice of compassion was one cause behind the transformation of the faith from a small movement on the edge of the empire to cultural ascendancy. Writing to a pagan priest, he said this, When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by our pagan priests, then I think that the Christians observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. In fact, Julian proposed that pagan priests imitate the Christian's charity in order to bring about a revival of paganism in the empire. His program failed because among other reasons, the polytheism, that's the many gods of ancient Rome, was unable to sustain the kind of self-sacrificial love and compassion that Eusebius observed in Caesarea. Way out of there, in something small, a mustard seed, a few small Christians in the early part of the fourth century with astounding impact and amazing audacity. I've read this same story about when the eruption occurred in the volcano way back there in the early part of, of history as well. Uh, what an amazing thing where they said everybody fled except Christians. And even though they were at risk of their own uh, demise, their own death, their own suffering, the Christians were audacious to go out and help. But of course, the church is still daring to go audaciously. We've talked about our team, like it'll take Bruce two days to get home. 
going to the mouth of the Amazon with one other team member to set up uh, a whole crusade and a whole ministry and one to last beyond his presence there, going to do all of that so that 79% of the people that have been affected by that demonic uh, abuse that is so rife throughout that nation that somebody says, I'll dare to go. I know Bruce didn't go because they asked him or offered him that, that space. He actually came to me and said, I feel God wants me to go. Are you okay with that? I know that it's around a significant time of our church. I said, Bruce, if God's calling you to go, you ought to go. His wife, Robin, said, Bruce, we're, let's, let's invest in this. We're going to take our finance so that you can go and be a part of doing that there. It was only as the conversation began to unfold that all the rest of this started taking place. And what an amazing week because the church still is audacious enough to go to amazing places. But let me take it out of the poor or the broken. Some of you won't know that last week, the, yeah, the week before, uh, the uh, Rugby League State of Origin match was held last Sunday night. Some of you would know, yeah, okay, let's get it over and done with. God bless all the blues. There you go. God bless you all. Thank you. That's all you're ever going to get from me. That's it. I bless you. I don't bless them. But there it is. All right. Amen. Let's come back to the things of God. And out of your carnality for a minute. All right. But some of you wouldn't know that the Maroons, God bless them. The Just God, yes, Amen. And uh, some, of, some of you would have read that there was a Maroons, a Queensland Maroons fan day held. Thousands of people turned up. Most of you don't know that they asked Red Frogs to come and be the support group, the main support group for the entire day. So we had a team of people go to the Maroons fan day to support that and you go, what does that do? That, that, what a waste of time. I go, oh no, every single cup of water that gets handed out, every interaction, every moment like that continues to build something just like Eusebius spoke about. The Scripture says that if you and I will let our light so shine before men that they will see our good works. I thank God for the good works that people are doing in the name of Jesus right across every area. The Australian Cricket Board said we've got so many problems with crowd disruption and, and poor behaviour. So guess who they are asked to come and help them solve the problem? Well, I've got the email upstairs from the Australian Cricket Board from the Wacker saying that it was one of the greatest things they ever did for uh, handling the crowd was to bring in red frogs. So see, the church is still, I tell you that, not to boast on us, we're talking about the church, but all around the world, there are countless numbers of things like this where the church is still audacious enough to go, 
where the church is still going, I might never get famous there. I might never get paid for it. I might never get recognised there. But I'm going to go and make a difference in that place. I don't need to tell some of you here that have been sponsoring a child in Cambodia and are now at the point where they're going to university. And now at the pointy end of everything that we have been labouring for in that place, not just us, but many churches. Thank God that the church is still audacious enough to step out of the comfort zone. And whether you're in a big country town or whether you're in a small place, whether you're in a big city, uh, you know, uh, there's so many amazing works of God that are taking place right around the globe. Because the church is audacious. Thirdly, the church is unexplainable. It really is. Colossians chapter 1 verse 26 says, The church is a mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been made, uh, now has been revealed to God's saints. It's a mystery. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8, think about this for an astounding verse. It literally says, Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they had known that the church was going to be the result of the cross, if they had known that Jesus would rise from the dead and not just rise from the dead saying, I've paid the penalty for man's sin, but that he would then commission his disciples and another uh, 109 people. 109.11 makes 120. 120 gathered together in that upper room on the day of Pentecost after 10 days of prayer and the Holy Spirit came on them and the church got birthed and launched in amazing supernatural power. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Pilate would have said, no, I spare him. Herod would have said, no, I'm not going to condemn him. The high priests and all those that gathered, the Roman soldiers would have refused to pick up the hammer, to drive the nails into his hands. There would have been an empty cross instead of one with the Son of God on it. Because if they'd known that at the other end of all of this, there would be you and there would be me and countless multitudes of other believers living as ordinary a life sometimes as we can imagine it to be, yet networked together by the Holy Spirit in an incredible supernatural tapestry of unbelievable beauty. If they'd known all of that, they would have dropped the hammer. They would have left the cross empty. They never would have laid his body in a tomb. But they didn't know, and so they did crucify the Lord of glory. It's unexplainable. 9th of November, 1989 is etched in history as the day the Berlin Wall came down. Now, I think I read a lot of history. I like it. I think I'm reasonably well read. But I did not know the story until Jackie Kenno gave me a book on prayer. And so I began reading it and then I researched it. What I'm reading to you is not out of that book. That was written by a Christian. What I'm reading to you is a, uh, a, a transcription from the BBC. 
right? British Broadcasting Corporation. The date, 9 November, is etched in history as the day the Berlin Wall came down. But was it actually a prayer meeting held exactly one month earlier that made the fall of the wall inevitable? How did the church end up playing such a prominent political role under an atheist regime? Disillusioned with the Berlin Wall, I'm reading it. The physical fault line of the ongoing Cold War in the repressive East German regime, Pastor Christian Fuhrer began organising prayers for peace every Monday evening beginning in 1982. On many occasions, fewer than a dozen people attended the prayer meetings. The East German government strongly discouraged its citizens from becoming involved in religious activities, but the meetings continued each Monday without fail. In 1985, Pastor Christian put an open to all sign outside the church. Such a gesture was loaded with symbolism as the church provided the only space in East Germany where people could talk about things that couldn't be discussed in public. Meetings were open to everyone, young people, Christians and atheists all sought refuge there. Attendances soared as word of the peace prayers spread. People involved in the meetings feared a bloodbath with the memory of the Tiananmen Square massacre in China that summer still fresh. On 9th of October 1989, as Leipzigers, that's the people from that city, returned home from work, they saw the city fill with soldiers and police, increasing the sense of foreboding. Liana, a member of the group Women for Peace, who helped organise the prayer meetings, recorded, recalled on the BBC Heart and Soul program how she had already been harassed by police and reflected on the anxiety the protesters experienced. The overriding feeling on the day was fear, she said. Up to 8,000 now crowded into St Nicholas Church, including members of the feared Stasi, the secret police, who'd been sent to occupy it. Other churches then opened to accommodate additional people coming to pray. 70,000 people now gathered in the city. After an hour-long service at St. Nicholas, Pastor Christian led worshippers outside. The nearby Augustus Platz was filled with demonstrators clutching lit candles. Slowly the crowd walked around the city past the Stasi headquarters, chanting, we are the people and no violence, accompanied by thousands of helmeted riot police ready to intervene. The tension was palpable. But at the decisive moment, the police stood aside, let the protesters march by. Pastor Christian said they didn't attack. They had nothing to attack, for East German officials would later say they were ready for anything except for candles and prayer. About 120,000 people took to the streets the following Monday. Eric Honecker, the president of East Germany, resigned two days later. The dissidents became increasingly emboldened. 300,000 people took part on 23rd of October, exactly a month after those events, the Berlin Wall came down amid scenes of jubilation witnessed around the world. The will of the people had triumphed through peace, peaceful protest. 
Pastor Christian was adamant the Berlin Wall would not have collapsed without the events in Leipzig. This is what he said to finish. He said, we did it because the church has to do it. The church is unexplainable. How do you make sense of that or of the countless acts of generosity and blessing and love? Because while we can talk about Caesarea and the plague, while we can talk about the Berlin Wall or about revival in Mongolia, can I tell you that all of those things were never about some charismatic leader. They were about everyday believers, part of the church. He said, I want to make a difference. I want to do something. Here's the last thing I want to say this morning. Because the church is supernatural and the church is audacious. And the church is unexplainable. But the reason why it all works is because the church is loved by heaven. Make no mistake about it. Many years ago, I organised for a fake wedding in church. Uh, I remember it because... I got this couple that no one here knew. I got them from another church to come with their pastor's permission to be here in the morning. I said, do you mind if I pinch a couple of your congregation? And so they came and I announced that we're going to have a wedding. And just at that moment where I said, which no longer applies anyway, but I said it on the day. You know, if any person present can show any just cause why they may not lawfully be joined together, let them now speak or else hereafter forever hold their peace. And I'd arrange for Ira Stafford. She's sitting up the back there. I'd arrange for beautiful, kind-hearted, gentle Iris to stand up and say, I object. I don't think she's good enough for him. And we did all this stuff. And then I had somebody else, I can't remember who they were, get up and make objection. And the whole place, people turn around like you wouldn't believe. Like Iris, I, I, we never knew Iris would do that. And, and it was all like that and, and such a big deal. And then I talked about how, you know, that this guy had chosen his bride and it didn't really matter what you thought, it's what he thought. And so then I began to speak about Christ choosing the church as his bride. And then when I speak against his bride, well, I get the same reaction that the groom, pretend groom on the day, had towards his pretend bride when other people said she's not good enough. He said, excuse me, excuse me. The church is loved by heaven. Listen to Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The church is the apple of God's eye, the church, the body of Christ. I believe that what you are, are a part of is enough for all of the future. I believe that the church, if you count yourself as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, then the Bible says that He's already put you into His body. You don't join that church. You are placed by God. You can join a local church. Be committed. I hope you are. So that there's an expression of your love for the church in your local area. 
I love the fact that we got so many people that say I love the church and I'm showing that by I, how I commit into this place, into this church. But I want you to know that what you're a part of is extraordinary. It's supernatural. It's audacious. It's unexplainable. And it's very definitely loved by heaven. I don't know about you, but as one of the leaders in this church, I rest so heavily and lean so hard on the fact that it's not my church, it's His church. That He's the one who gave Himself for it. I may give my time. I may give my resources. I may surrender my gifts and my talents. But He alone paid the ultimate sacrifice. He did that because what He was birthing and what was coming out of that, He says is the pinnacle of all of time. It's the thing that the world waits for. Bow with me for a moment. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for everybody here. Lord, we pray for our friends and our church family that are in Peru right now, that are making a difference there. But Lord, I also pray for all the people that are here. Lord, who this week will go to jobs and careers. They'll take part in ministries. They'll serve You in so many ways. And Lord, wherever we go, we are part of the supernatural church. We are a part of that thing that is audacious. We will do things that make no sense to the people around about us. They'll wonder, they'll call it religion, Lord, but it never was. It was always about a relationship with You. It was always about something of eternal, not something for the moment. So Lord, as we do all that we can do and use the energy that You've given us and our resources to make a difference, Father, I pray that we'll always do it with awareness of the big picture of what you are doing around the earth. Lord, one day we'll get to see the entire tapestry. Until then, we see just the corner, a small part that we get to play. Help us, Lord, today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Aren't you glad you're a part of something awesome, something great? I hope that blesses you. I've, I've never really spoken like that before, but I, I felt the Lord put in my heart to speak about the church, the church. And I hope wherever you're going this week, some of you are visiting here and you'll travel to other places. Wherever you go, I understand you're a part of something so big, so huge. In Jesus' name. What a wonderful thing. One more thing I want to say to you. Well, there's a couple more, but this one thing at the end of my speaking this morning is that maybe you're here and you say, Jeff, oh, I'm not really a Christian or you made me wonder if I really am one. You know, do I really know God? Because you're talking about Him and people are singing about Him in a way that, well, I don't understand it. I don't have that in my life. And can I say to you that receiving Christ is the greatest thing you will ever do in your physical life, in this earth, in this time you have on planet earth. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. I hear stories about people who in their last moments come to Christ and I go, what a beautiful thing that is. What an amazing thing that is. But you know, you can do that today. You don't need to wait for a crisis to come to your life. You don't need to wait for some kind of a special significant thing to fall out of you know, the sky on you, some magic moment. But you can decide to say yes to Christ right where you are. We started back in February uh, last year 
we started this thing called Yes Text. To be honest, we'd never heard of it. Uh, it was something that really just came as an idea to us. And we began to develop that. And so many people, hundreds of them, have, have found a way of connecting to Christ in such a real and an authentic way for their own life. Away from the crowd and what people are thinking or saying, to say yes to Christ in a private moment. And so the guys will put up on the screen for you the details of Yes Text. I've said it so often, I know the number. It's 488 Anywhere in Australia, you can text yes to that number. Some of you that are watching this, you're outside of Australia. I hear back from people that are around the world and they tell me I watched you. I saw the telecast. I watched what you were doing there. And so you can do exactly the same thing by going to yes.metrochurch.org.au and with just a couple of clicks, you can start receiving the same encouragement, the same help to follow Christ. When you say yes the next morning, 7 a.m., our time that is, you will get from us uh, a scripture that fits on one screen of your smartphone along with a prayer that you can pray and make it your prayer. So many people have said to me, you know, when I've done that, it's like every day, it's like God is speaking to me personally and it's helped them on their journey to Christ. I want to encourage you to do that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, for the people that are watching, people that are listening, people that are here in front of me right now or up in the parents' room or people that are getting the podcast, they're in their car, they're out on the tractor, they're somewhere or other in their journey of life, they're at their computer at home. And Lord, they're sitting there knowing, I don't really know Christ. Then Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that as they say that simple word, yes. Lord, I know that as they say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sin. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life. I want to know you, Lord. I don't just want to know about you. I want you in my life. Lord, I know that they will be transformed supernaturally in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, people watching this will be saying yes and texting that and emailing. Say, how about you give them a big hand? Because I know they are somewhere or other. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a great thing that we get to be a part of. I told you before at the church I was at in Malaysia, they put up their version of it. I'm not sure whether they got all the stuff we send out or whether they developed their own, but I was excited for them. Uh, you know, we, don't, we haven't tried to own it. There's churches in America that have picked it up and that's just exciting that we get to be a part of something. Amen? Amen.